Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're uh, taking our last look at difference makers in the Bible uh, this morning. And I, I hope that uh, these messages have been as helpful to you as they have been to me. It's been good. I, like I said, beginning, I've never done like character sketch kind of messages before. So it was, it was a new experience of trying to sort of step back and look at each of these uh, heroes of our faith and go, okay, what's the big idea? You know, so we had Abraham's faith, uh, we had Moses' leadership, we had David's heart, Peter's love, and today we're going to look at Paul's focus, a difference-making focus. So, I guess it's my fault that focus is the buzzword. <laughs> uh, have you ever heard the name Larry Page and Sergey Ben? <laughs> well, um... They were two college students who, instead of studying for finals, were sitting around in their dorm room and they came up with this mission statement that they pledged their lives to. To organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. The outcome of that mission statement was what we know as Google. Yeah, the most widely powerful search engine in the world. And so it all came from two guys in their dorm room, not studying, but thinking about, you know, how they could, how they could accomplish this mission. And mission statements, you can find them all over the place. I mean, even with businesses that, you know, it's pretty, pretty clear what they do. You know, like FedEx, they have a mission statement. You know, just about everybody knows what FedEx can, can do or does. Um, Nike has a mission statement. Nike's, Nike's mission statement is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Mission. World Renewal International, which is our mission organization that sort of uh, oversees or uh, has an umbrella of support um, for the missionaries we support in Brazil. Uh, they have a mission statement as well to, to help the global church fulfill the Great Commission by developing spirit-filled, self-reproducing leaders and congregations. And so that's what they're all about. It's what they're trying to do. I got another difference-making testimony from a guy that I think you're familiar with now. His name's David Taylor. So let's watch. And that was that was the the light class. I mean, uh, the one that I went to, he was getting punched and kicked, and it was like, man, he's I mean, it was real stuff. So, you know, David is uh, is really exciting to be a part of his ministry in, in Brazil. That. 
He's going into churches that have already been established, like Guadalajara mentioned, and, you know, sort of bringing new revival to that congregation. And then he's uh, been used to start new ones um, in, in the town of Desteo. Uh, they just started a meeting there. Um, uh, they got the church going there in, um, in September, I think. Um, Guga is the pastor. And um, and then he's been to Fiera Nova, which I'll talk more about here in a little bit. But, you know, he's just re- he's going places with mixed martial arts that, you know, the church can't go. And so then he, he goes into the schools and he's sharing with those kids there. And, and uh, it's just making a huge difference and really, really cool to be a part of it. So one of the hurdles that we have as followers of Christ is to see ourselves as missionaries, just like David Taylor is. You know, I mean, the Great Commission is for all disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's for all disciples. Jesus' mission was to come and seek and save the lost. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, that's going to be our mission. To seek and to save the lost. How can we take a step in that direction? Get a difference-making focus for our life. The Apostle Paul, I call him a rock star. In, in missions. Uh, he was like the first one to really take the gospel of Jesus outside Jerusalem to the Gentile world. And, and we've got this treasure trove of letters that he's written uh, to the church, the places that he had gone and established congregations. And, and to this day, they, they continue to teach us and mold us and shape us and, and influence our life with God. Well, Paul had a specific focus, and that's what I want to focus on, to try to change your focus before you sit down to Turkey. Because, you know, we want to be difference makers. So if we're going to get there, let's pray and ask the Spirit to help us. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your word today as we, as we dive in. We're going to feast on it this morning. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul and the uh, example that he gives us of somebody who is focused on lifting you up. And we pray that you might use his life to inspire us today. Um, to do the work you call us to do right here um, in our in our homes and in our neighborhoods and where we go. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, my rock and my redeemer, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a difference maker in the kingdom of God is going to have a focus on the gospel in their life. Focus on the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So there in verse 1, Paul explains that this gospel work that he's got isn't his work. It's God's work. It, It came to him through the mercy of God that gave him a message to get out about Jesus. And so because it's God's work and because it's God's message, he was handling it with care. He wasn't trying to to trick people into following Christ. He wasn't trying to to, uh, fool them into faith. 
Okay, it was just a simple, straightforward message of God's love through His Son, Jesus. Not watered down, not confusing, not dressed up in a show, just a simple, straightforward telling of the truth. So Paul, he knows that, he knows his story with God. He knows what God has done for him. And he knows what God has given him to do. And what's happened is, he's taken ownership of that in his life. He has some ownership. Well, if you think about it, how much ownership do you have in the gospel, in in gospel work? How much of a personal responsibility do you feel you have to get the word out about Jesus to the people that you hang out with, the people that are at work, you know, wherever you go, the people God's put in your life? Do you carry any kind of personal responsibility, any ownership of the gospel work? You know, I used to think that, you know what, that's, that's the pastor's job. You know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm nobody. I'm just, I'm no Billy Graham. I, I mean, I'm certainly no Paul. You know, I don't have the gift of evangelism, by the Holy Spirit gift of evangelism. So obviously, God has something else for me to do in His kingdom. I used to think like that. You know, I'm just a, I'm just a student. I'm just a, a, a software developer. I'm just, I'm just a, you know, a, a bus driver. Just a mom. Just a dad. I, I am not. A missionary. Now, all that kind of thinking will keep you from having a focus on the gospel in your life. And you'll never own your part of what God wants you to do. God has given us mercy too, hasn't he? And through that, we've got a story to tell of how Jesus' love came into our life and made all the difference. If you don't have a story like that, then we need to talk. God has given each one of us a part to play wherever we go. School, work, the doctor, buying a car, eating out, wherever you go. You can focus on sharing the gospel with people. Just a simple, straightforward telling of God's love for them and how you received it through Jesus. And you're thinking, man, that's like, how do I do that? Well, you know, it's not as hard as you might think if you think if you're if you're ready. And really, you can start a conversation just by asking one question. What do you know about Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? The secret is to mention his name. Mention his name. Bring it up in conversation. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses are called Jehovah, because they think the name Jehovah is being squashed down in the world and not talked about. God. People have no trouble talking about God. They got the wrong J name. It's Jesus. People don't mention Jesus. They don't talk about his, they don't use his name unless it's in uh, profanity. If you watch, if you watch movies, it's rare when they pr- pray in movies. At the end of it, what do they normally do? They just go, Amen. They won't mention Jesus' name. It's His name that we need to lift up. Is, cause there's power in His name. And so, because of the mercy God has given me, because of that, I am going to not give up in, in sharing this gospel. I'm going to take responsibility for my part of the harvest field, and I'm going to get out there and share Christ with people. That starts with focus, having a gospel focus in your life. 
Now, we also need some confidence. And that confidence comes from the gospel itself. Verses 3 and 4 can help us with some confidence. Paul says there's some people that aren't going to believe. You're going to share it and they're going to go, what? Or they're going to argue or whatever. And he's saying here that that's not because the gospel's messed up. It's not the message that's wrong. It's not the messenger that's wrong. It's not even the person who's heard the message that's having trouble. It's all due to Satan, the God of this world who's blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot believe. And so what that means is for us, we before we talk to people about Jesus, we need to talk to God about the opportunities to talk to people about Jesus. That he would be working to, to uh, get that blindness out of their mind and out of their heart so they can see the light of Jesus. So it's not the gospel's fault that people don't believe. And so we've got to bathe it in prayer. It's a spiritual battle. If the gospel will be, will be heard and believed, it's going to start because we are praying. Paul had confidence in the gospel. He said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, the Greek. So from his experience with the power of the gospel, he has confidence in it. That when that word goes out, it can change somebody's life forever. Do you have that confidence? You have the confidence that this simple message that God loves you and he wants to know you, that he wants to live with you forever. But our sin gets in the way of that. And so he sent his son Jesus to take care of our sin, to cover our sin so that he could get it out of the way so we could come to know God and live with him forever. You know, all of us are going to die The question is, how are we going to die? Will we die in our sin? Or will we die in Christ? In Jesus? And and you think, you know, we can all agree. Death is coming for all of us. We don't know when. We don't know how. But we can know if we're ready. We can know if we're ready. Are we in sin? Or are we in Christ? If we're in sin, we pay a penalty that's eternal punishment in hell, separated from God forever. A just punishment for sins against a holy God. Or are we in Christ, where we say, Lord, I know I don't deserve it, but His sacrifice is what I'm trusting in to provide forgiveness for my sins. So, which one are you in? Do you have confidence that that message could change somebody's heart around the Thanksgiving table? Starts with prayer. Starts with prayer. That will lead to power. And someone can believe. So pray it up. Start now. Pray it up. Verse 5, Paul shares his simple strategy that he's lifting up Jesus instead of himself. He said, we aren't proclaiming ourselves, we're proclaiming Jesus. We're not trying to get followers for ourselves, we're trying to get followers for for Jesus. He's just a servant. It says a slave in some versions. Just a slave to the work, to others. We do a lot of talking. A lot of talking, and we do a lot of talking about 
ourselves, don't we? How would it be if we actually adopted Paul's strategy as we head into Thanksgiving and our, our goal was to lift up Jesus instead of ourselves? In fact, the, the verses that we read there before in worship from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, um, and when I came to you, brothers, did, did not, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What would happen if we were sitting around a table with our family and friends and we had that strategy? I mean, you know what? You don't have to have a strategy to talk about the food. And to talk about the football, I mean, that's just going to happen. You don't even have to have a strategy to talk about yourself. I mean, it's, just, it's pretty easy to fill people in on, on the latest news in your life. It would be really short in my life. I don't have any news. It, you know, I mean, it would be easy to talk about that stuff. But it will be impossible to talk about Jesus unless... We take some ownership of this gospel work. And we start praying that the Lord would open doors of opportunity and remove the blindness from people's hearts. And we get some confidence in the gospel message. And then we go into these situations with people, with this strategy to lift up Jesus instead of ourselves. When I was in Brazil a couple of months ago, I joined in a prayer walk around the town of Fierda Nova with Pastor Ricardo Silva. He's been here before and shared uh, some of his testimony with us. Um, Pastor Ricardo has been part of three other church plants in Brazil, um, leading two of them uh, from the street to a building and to another building to these lighthouse communities in these towns, Guadalajara and Lagoa de Antanga. Two, two places where he's gone. So now God's placed Fierda Nova on his heart. And they just had an outreach there uh, a few weeks ago. And I wanted to show you a, t- a video that they made of this outreach. So let's watch. It was really cool. Never forget it. That's just awesome, isn't it? I mean, those are people who are mostly under 20 uh, that have a gospel focus in their life. They're... Serving Jesus, I mean, they're, they're just like us. Nobody special. Got a lot less than we got. And they're stepping out there to do that. Um, I, I heard on Thursday night um, that uh, from that outreach, they've had 91 invitations into homes in the town of Fierra Nova. So it's multiplication in action. I mean, Pastor Ricardo, he's like the modern-day Apostle Paul, you know, down there. He's just going from one town to another. So it's it's gonna it's gonna be an awesome thing to watch and be a part of and support. Um, we're excited about lifting them up. But I thought, you know, what would happen if if we as a church followed in the footsteps of those people? What if what if we said, you know, we're going to take responsibility from Accordsville and Lawrence and Geist and and Fishers and New Pal and Greenfield and and we're going to target our prayers on these communities and we're going to ask God to use us to go out there and proclaim Jesus instead of ourselves and trust Him to change lives. What would happen? You know what would happen? People would believe in Jesus. 
And we'd be difference makers in the kingdom. We'd be a difference making church. Well, what makes a person, what makes a person change their focus in their life? You know, for us as Americans, we have the mission of happiness. It's a huge mission statement for many people if they wrote it down. To be happy in my life. To per- the pursuit of happiness. It's in our declaration, right? What, what, what would happen? What, what's it going to take to change our focus from the mission of happiness to the mission of God? Treasure. It takes treasure. And we have to have a focus on treasure. Paul tells us what the treasure is in verse 6. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. He defines it right there. Knowing Jesus. Knowing Jesus. You know, I often think, as I'm driving to church on Sunday morning, I'm thinking about the people that aren't driving to church on Sunday morning. And there's a lot of them. And I'm thinking, you know, Lord, why'd you love me? Why'd you shine your light in my life? I didn't do anything to deserve this. Why is this day special? And for so many people, it's not. You see, I I mean, no better than my neighbor cuts his grass on Sunday morning, every Sunday morning. No better. But here I am coming to church on Sunday morning, hanging out with a faith family to worship God and fellowship with each other and dive into the Word and talk to Him. Why me? Treasure. It's treasure. Every morning when I wake up, I have the open invitation to sit down with Almighty God and hear His voice through His Word and write letters to Him and cast my cares upon Him. Every morning, He's there waiting for me and sometimes I don't even show up treasure occasionally in my life I will mess up I will not have the love I need to have and express I will uh, miss an opportunity to help I will seek satisfaction for my soul in some place other than God. I will let anger lead to sin. I will spend more than I should. I will waste too much time watching TV. I will not change the oil in my car every 3,000 miles. I will not give what I should give. I will not keep my promises. I will not say the right thing. I will not do the right thing. I will burn the Thanksgiving turkey, please God, no. See, occasionally I mess up. But to my utter amazement, Jesus never leaves me. He never leaves me. He never walks away, even when I deny that I know him. He's always there. He never calls me anything but his child, continuing to love me and pour out his grace upon me. 
treasure. That's our treasure. Now Paul goes on in verses 7 to 15. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul, he's saying a lot there. But he's saying, you know, we carry this treasure, this light of knowing God. We carry this in a jar of clay. You know, to show that the light that's shining in us is not from us. It's not from us. The life that we've got going on, he says, is very hard. We're experiencing trouble from every side. We, we get confused. We're perplexed. Why is this happening, God? People are out to get us. We get knocked down. But in, in all of this, we are not stopping. We're continuing on. We press on. We're not defeated. We're not in despair. We're not abandoned. God is with us. And as we keep going with Him through all the suffering, it provides the very evidence that the treasure we have is real. As we keep going through the suffering. See, if we stopped following God... If we stopped believing, if we stopped serving, if we just kind of kept to ourselves because that will make our life easier, if we did that, it wouldn't help anybody. You know what we believe is real because we keep going, we keep believing no matter the cost and suffering that we go through. We don't lose faith, we don't sit down, we don't lose heart. So grace could reach more and more people. So we're compelled to speak about the treasure. Now Paul, he kind of wrapped this treasure up in a verse. Galatians 2.20. What does he say there? I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And it's probably a different version that I learned. Sorry. That's the treasure. That's the treasure verse. You should memorize that. That's what our life should be about. That's what we have to have our focus on. Or when life gets hard, we're not going to have the faith to stick it out. We're not going to have the strength to keep going. And we need to keep going. Because if we keep going, good things happen. If we don't keep going, bad things happen. People look at us if we sit down and go, you know what, that life with God that they were talking about at work, that must not be real because look at what they're doing today. They didn't hold on to the treasure. It must not be true. i got to find it somewhere else. 
But if the opposite happens, if we continue on in suffering, if we keep going and faithful in our, in our walk, God gets some glory. Believers get encouraged and unbelievers have questions. Why? Why would they keep going? In October, this is last month, American pastor Andrew Brunson came home. He uh, was in Turkey, or he lived in Turkey uh, for over 20 years, but he had been in prison for two years um, by the Turkish government being accused of uh, political espionage in that failed coup of uh, 2016. And so um, that was what they were accusing him of, but most believed the Turkish president was just holding him for diplomatic leverage. In July, this past July, he, uh, Andrew, had his third hearing in Turkey. And it was expected that he was going to get released back in July. But the court said, no, we're going to extend it to October 12th. So they put him back in prison for three months. Um, when his fourth hearing came around, uh, Pastor Brunson had spent more than two years of his life in this Turkish prison on trumped-up charges. And so you can imagine that the trial hadn't gone very well. I mean, he was, uh, he was under trial. People were coming forward, testifying against him, saying things that weren't true about him. So when he stands up in the court, guess what he does? He proclaims Jesus. He lifted up Jesus. Now, that's not really a popular move in Turkey if you want to get out of prison. There was another American pastor there who watched this. He said, as usual, there was a lot of fake testimony against Andrew. When he spoke up, it was absolutely powerful. He presented the gospel with confidence and defended himself with boldness. Brunson said this when he stood up. My faith teaches me to forgive, so I forgive those who testified against me. It is a privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Blessed am I as I suffer for him. Blessed am I as I am slandered. Blessed am I as I am being lied about. Blessed am I as I am imprisoned. Blessed am I as I share his suffering. His wife, Noreen, wrote on social media, The Lord was absolutely glorified. He explained why he was here. He gave the gospel. He publicly forgave those who had come against him, forgiving as he had been forgiven. I'm incredibly proud of him as I'm quite sure he is not feeling the blessing that he is talking about. What makes a man do that? Treasure. Treasure. So, where is your focus today in your life? Where is your focus? Has the world put something out there in front of you that you've got your focus on and you're running after? Have you traded the treasure of knowing Jesus for something that's of this world? You know, today, this may be an opportunity for you because you're not going to hear this anywhere else but here. Maybe a chance for you to change your focus to put Paul's words into practice from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. He said, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. It is a... Big step in your life to confess that your treasure is somewhere other than Jesus. And then to count it all as loss. 
so you can know him. If we're going to be difference makers, if we're going to make a difference in the kingdom, we've got to keep our focus on the treasure of Jesus, life with God. And that will give us the strength that comes to endure the suffering that comes from being a follower of his. Paul finishes up chapter 4 with a focus on the invisible. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So when we have a focus on the invisible, which, you know, how do you do that? Um, But when we we have a focus on the invisible, when we are thinking about home, our home in heaven with God, and when we're feeling the pain and, and grief here, and we think about the freedom and joy there, it changes our perspective on this life, the way we see this life. It changes our perspective. What's coming um, there makes what's happening here bearable. So these troubles that we experience here are light and momentary, temporary. They're small and they're brief compared to there we fix our eyes on home, we'll be able to keep pressing on even though we're getting beat up. Again, in Philippians chapter 3, 13 and 14, Paul wrote, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. See, Paul's the buzzword guy. Focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Paul's never seen the prize. He's never put his eyes on it. He's focused on the invisible. He's looking forward to home. And he presses on to get there. There is an ultra-marathon that's held every year called the Barclay Marathons. It's in uh, Wartburg, Tennessee, in the Frozen uh, Head State Park. It's very mountainous there. It's coming up again in uh, March next year, if you're interested. You can sign up for the Fun Run, which is 60 miles. Or you can do, or you can do the whole monster, which is 100 miles. Uh, so this race is known as the race that eats its young. The field is always limited to 40 runners. It's on a loop course, 20-mile loop course. You're supposed to make five trips around. You have to do each loop in less than 12 hours or you get bumped out of the race. In 2018, this past March, none of the 40 runners finished the race. Uh, Gary Cantrell, the crazy man who invented this, uh, event, He said, I was pleased with the outcome. It's, co- it's a competition between the humans and the mountains, and the mountains won. So in the 32 years of running this race, there have been only 18 finishers out of the 1,180. So that means you got a 1% chance, less than a 1% chance, of finishing the Barclay Marathon. And so that's made many people say this is the hardest race in the world. Hardest race. 
at the beginning of this race, you get this information. You know, here's, here's what you're supposed to do. And you're only allowed to use a map and a compass uh, on, the, on the course to find your way. Uh, there are no places to get water. There is no place to get food. There is no place to get medical attention. You're just kind of on your own to complete this course. It says it uh, gains twice the elevation of Mount Everest over the whole 100 miles. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of elevation. Nikki Rain, a 40-year-old Australian who lives in Canada, she completed one and a half out of the 20-mile laps before succumbing. She said, you don't come here to be victorious. You come here to be humiliated. The Christian life is not very easy. If we're going to be faithful, focused followers of Jesus, what we can expect in this life is more humiliation than victory. Victory. Why? Because that's what happened to the one we're following. But thank God we don't have to run this race like these runners do at the Barclay. You know, they're solo. They're going it alone. Nobody's there to help them. They don't get any medical help. No water, no food. Four times they run by the finish line until it's the finish line. How hard would that be? No wonder nobody finishes it. Our race, it's a lot farther than 100 miles. And it gains a lot more elevation than two times up Mount Everest. It's a lot harder. And the thing is, God has given us everything we need to finish the race. You know, we can find a lot of it right here. This is our map, this is our compass. This is our bread. This is our water. This right here will get us a long way down the course. And then we get to come to this place, which could be seen as a medical aid station. You know, where we can come here every week and rest in God's presence and be healed by the wounds that we've received from the previous week. And then the other big thing about coming here is that this is where the runners... Gather. Every week we get to come together and encourage each other to keep our focus on the invisible. To keep going. Aren't you glad that God has set it up this way? Giving us the church, giving us His Word. Because together we can make it. Together we can be difference makers. Together, we can uh, keep this treasure that we have, our treasure, sharing it together. Together, we can partner with people like Pastor Ricardo and David and each other to share the gospel, to have a focus on the gospel in the world. I'm not going to send you out solo to, to do that. I'm with you. We're together in this. I believe if we would do it together, God will make a difference through us. Let's have our worship team come back up. And uh, I was thinking about that verse that Paul wrote there. Uh, Forgetting what is past. 
straining on toward what is ahead. If you had to write a mission statement based on your life in the past, what would it be? You know, it's, there's rules about writing mission statements. It has to be, you know, short. can't be this... It's got to be concise. But if you looked back on your past, how would it say, you know, this is your mission in life? Well, today, we have the opportunity as a church to write a mission statement based on our future. How would it change? What would change? Why don't we just go to the Lord in prayer this morning and talk to Him about that. And if the Lord's talking to your heart about this, just take the next step He's showing you. You know, if if we would just move a little bit toward being like Paul, I think we'd make a big difference in the world. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we look at, at this incredible missionary, Paul, and we marvel at his passion, his zeal, his focus, and we can feel that gap between who we are and who he is. So, Lord, we, we want to offer ourselves today as your followers. And we want to take a step toward having a gospel focus in our life. Focus on the treasure of knowing you and on the invisible, our home with you. Lord, help us write a new mission statement today or tweak it forgetting what is past, straining on toward what is ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.